Hello and welcome to the Pickleball Physio Podcast, where we talk about pickleball injury prevention and recovery so that pickleball athletes can stay on the courts longer and get back on the courts sooner after their injury. Um, I'm very excited to have a special guest on today, Dr. Mark Cole. Um, he and I actually met each other recently. Uh, he had a presentation that he was offering to the local pickleball club um, where I was living um, at the time. And uh, he was so gracious to share a lot of the information on how he's serving the pickleball community, uh, the different ways that um, pickleball athletes can take care of themselves when they have injuries. And um, he has been willing to share this presentation with us today. And um, he and I had talked after the presentation to get connected. And it took a little moment for us to be able to uh, get a time together. But he is here now today with us. Um, and I'm so very, very excited to have him. Welcome, Dr. Cole. Thanks, Sarah. I appreciate um, the opportunity to talk with you. I love your willingness to be able to meet pickleball athletes where they're at because so many of us are listening to podcasts more and more and I think it's very valuable to have an orthopedic surgeon uh, share what uh, we can be aware of or or things that um, we can expect to see um, as we encounter certain injuries and such and such. Absolutely. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit more briefly how you started to get involved in the pickleball world, um, providing these presentations or even um, how you've kind of noticed uh, any specific things that you've been doing in your practice? Sure. Just a little bit about my background. So I um, I uh, did my orthopedic residency uh, back in Chicago um, at Northwestern University, and then I did a year after my residency uh, doing a fellowship in knee and shoulder surgery, which is basically just a sports medicine fellowship. So I've been um, in in, uh, the Central Coast, uh, Tascadero and then Templeton uh, for the past 30 years. Um, And um, it was been over the past maybe five to 10 years that I began seeing folks come in with injuries uh, related to pickleball. And I have to admit, it was um, unique to me when people came in in their um, 40s and 50s with uh, injuries and they said they injured themselves playing pickleball, um, which was, um, I said, well, what the heck is that? Um, so, and, um, and it was uh, normally shoulder and knee injuries. And, um, and then it began to increase in volume. And then I had to investigate uh, what was going on with pickleball. And um, so then I got involved more with the the Paso Robles Club and became a sponsor of the um, pickleball tournaments and such. And then um, that led to one thing and another. And then I began doing talks with respect to uh, pickleball injuries and more importantly, uh, prevention of injuries related to pickleball, which is uh, really the most important thing because of the the age range of um, of injuries is usually higher or older than the typical injuries that I see in, uh, in younger sports. 
Absolutely. And um, I remember sitting through that presentation and finding so much value in it. Everybody in the room was very grateful. Um, and to have someone who specializes so much more in these specific areas, um, it provides us a lot more confidence in um, the information that we're getting and the hope that we can have um, after any type of uh, surgery or intervention that we need. But I love that you're getting there ahead of time so people can start planning the having education having the information um, helps to diminish or eliminate more of the fear factor that tends to come when injuries happen yeah and it, and and it allows people to know how to game plan and strategize when something happens which is usually why we are afraid so i love that you're providing that information um, preemptively to these individuals as they're seeing it yes yes and the attendance was just amazing in terms of uh the talk I gave at Centennial Park was just great. I was really uh, quite pleased with that. Yes, I was. I was too. I was glad to see that people were interested in looking after their health that way, which is huge. So um, without further ado, I'd love to get into this presentation. I'm going to share my screen so everyone can see it. Um, the title will still say Paso Robles Pickleball Club because that's kind of where we began. And we'll go from there. Uh, thanks, Sarah. So just a couple of quick things that I brought up in terms of just how big pickleball has become. Um, greater than 5 million people are now participating. Um, and what's interesting is that 17% um, are over the age of 65, which is just amazing. And it's amazingly great, to be honest with you. And um, unlike um, other sports, uh, people over the uh, age of 65 are not quite as in tune with preconditioning as younger folks are that are in competitive sports. And that's where the injuries um, will occur. Um, people that are in competitive sports in their 20s and 30s uh, focus on uh, pre-prevention, strengthening, stretching, and such. But unfortunately, as we get older, we just tend to neglect that. And I think that's where the injuries occur. And the injury um, occur in the, in the distribution of knees, shoulders, and then hip injuries. So just a little bit about um, a quick, a little bit of anatomy for folks that would be interested in terms of understanding what the knee joint, which is the most common, um, the common, uh, common joint, which is involved. The knee is made up of four different ligaments. Um, there's a ligament on the inside called the medial collateral on the outside called the lateral collateral, and then two ligaments on the inside called the uh, cruciates. Um, so those ligaments can be injured, particularly the medial collateral, um, that's called the sprain, um, which oftentimes is very commonly seen with pickleball. And then the, the, the two structures in the middle of the knee are the, are the uh, meniscus. Um, and that is a very commonly seen thing when people say they have a torn, torn cartilage. That's what they're referring to. They have a torn uh, meniscus. And that's, that's a very common scene, uh, commonly seen thing I see when people come in and they twist their knee and they have pain on the inside, they have a torn cartilage. And then uh, what makes up the knee joint itself, um, I like to analogize it to a, um, a car, um, makes it easy to understand it. So if you think of the end of the bone uh, being the tread on your tires, um, and the, and the fluid inside of the joint being the oil in your car, the oil is the synovial fluid which bathes the, uh, the tread. And it's the tread of the articular cartilage that when you develop arthritis, that's the, the, the structure that wears down. And um, that, that's what arthritis is and that's what causes pain. 
And here's an example of what tread wear looks like or arthritis. You can see on the left-hand side what a healthy knee looks like. And on the right-hand side, you can see what happens as the tread begins to wear down, you get, um, you get uh, arthritis. And that's basically what arthritis is, is wearing down of the tread. And this is actually looking at it arthroscopically. If you look, uh, arthroscopically is a, is a procedure that we do when we put a, a, a camera inside the knee joint and the middle picture there, you can see um, it looks sort of bump, bumpy and rough. Um, that's what it, that's what the tread wear looks like. And if you look at the, the lower uh, screen there, uh, that's where you get basically all of the cartilage or all of the tread off of the tire and you have a bald tires, so to speak. And that's where you really start to have pain. And this is a little uh, schematic in terms of what it looks like from left to right, the progression of the tread wear from early arthritis to more advanced arthritis. Another picture uh, inside the knee joint of an arthroscopic view. On the left, you can see what the healthy tread looks like, the cartilage on the femur, the cartilage on the tibia. And then you have that structure that we, I referred to in terms of the meniscus on the left. That's a structure that is um, in between the, the two treads, so to speak. And then on the right, you can see what happens to the, uh, the tread. Uh, you get the breakdown of all the tread. You don't even see the meniscus on that image, but you can see what happens in terms of the breakdown. And that's a that's an angry looking knee and a very painful knee. And on x-ray, when you lose all the tread, um, that's what it looks like. You basically have bone on bone. So when people say they have bone on bone arthritis, that's what they have. They have basically no more tread left. And that's that hurts. Okay, getting back to the, uh, the meniscus tears that I referred to earlier, uh, on the left, you can see a picture of those, those cartilage pads and a little tear there. And if you, on the right hand, you can see, this is what it looks like arthroscopically. So when people have that and they come in and they, it's painful and they like to have something done surgically, that's what you see. And that's actually a, a painful condition. It's sort of like walking on a rock. If you have a little pebble in your shoe or a rock in your shoe and you're walking on it, that's what it feels like. Okay, moving on to the shoulder joint uh, in, in order of injury uh, prevalence. This is the second most commonly injured joint in pickleball. The shoulder joint is made up of a ball and a socket. Um, and then on top of the shoulder joint is what we call the rotator cuff tendon. Um, now that's a very important uh, tendon. That's the tendon which allows your shoulder to be raised. And then above the rotator cuff tendon is a structure that we call the bursa, uh, which is a normal structure, which is in the shoulder. Um, that structure we'll talk to, we'll talk about later, but that structure can become inflamed and uh, people can develop a condition that was called bursitis, which a lot of people have heard about. Okay, uh, <clears throat> two most common conditions that people come in with shoulder pain. It either, they either have trouble with the rotator cuff um, either the rotator cuff or the bursa, or they have arthritis. Those are the two most common conditions they have. And at least 80% of the time, it's more related to the rotator cuff. It's not as commonly related to arthritis. Arthritis of the shoulder is not that common. Arthritis of the, of the knee and the hip is pretty common. Arthritis of the shoulder is not very common. But conditions related to the rotator cuff in the form of rotator cuff tendonitis, uh, bursitis, rotator cuff tear, that's 
that's very common, particularly with pickleball. And here's an example of what bursitis and tendonitis is. Um, uh, the combined condition is what we call impingement. Um, so basically what it is, it's inflammation of that bursa that we spoke about and the inflammation of the tendon. And the impingement process occurs as you raise your arm above your head, that uh, inflamed tendon and bursa gets pinched by the bone above. And that's the term impingement. And that's where that term comes from. And it hurts. So you don't typically have pain below the level of the shoulder. It's not until you raise your arm that it begins to hurt. So as that progresses, and it is also an age-related phenomenon, um, you don't typically have rotator cuff tears in your 20s and 30s, but as you get uh, over the age of 50 and beyond, then rotator cuff tears occur more frequently. And a rotator cuff tear is actually where the tendon of the rotator cuff will pull off of the bone. And, and that actually is a condition that does not heal by itself. Um, and that condition, the tear itself, um, can enlarge with time. And the studies have shown that if you have a rotator cuff tear, with time, the tear can get larger and larger. And, and at a point, it can become irreparable. Now, it's hard to say in terms of how long that takes. Um, sometimes it can be very, very slow. Sometimes it can be quicker. Uh, but those are the things that we we need to to look for and see um, if, if the tear is there and then treat it appropriately. Now, getting to arthritis, which again is uh, far less common than rotator cuff tears. Arthritis uh, in the shoulder is similar to in the knee. It's the loss of the tread on the tires. Um, and in that center picture on on the on below there, you can see where the tread has come off of the tire, and you basically have just exposed ball tire. And on the, the x-ray up to the right, you can see that you don't have much space between the ball and the socket there. And that hurts, actually. It, it, it's, um, that, that's a condition where it just hurts all the time, as opposed to rotator cuff conditions, which is mostly pain with uh, overhead motion. Uh, arthritis hurts all the time. Uh, okay, now this is a, a less commonly seen condition of the shoulder. Uh, called adhesive capsulitis or a frozen shoulder. Uh, this is sort of something which just can occur out of the blue. Um, it can also occur in conjunction with some sort of event. Um, either it can occur in conjunction with um, uh, trauma. It can occur in conjunction with uh, a surgical procedure. So it can occur out of the blue, which is called primary frozen shoulder, or it can occur in conjunction with uh, some sort of an event, which is called secondary frozen shoulder. Basically what it is, it's just a massive um, accumulation of scar tissue around the shoulder such that the shoulder just gets stuck. Um, it's a very frustrating, it's a painful condition, and it's a very frustrating condition for the patient because it requires, it requires quite a bit of physical therapy. And, and, and Sarah, as you know, as a physical therapist, it's frustrating for everybody, including the therapist, because it's just, it's like, it's like um, uh, you know, melting a huge block of ice. Um, it, it takes some time to get better. And patients, you need to have patience. You need to have a patient patient, so to speak. Okay, some other um, aches and pains. Um, calf strains. Um, this is needs to be differentiated from an Achilles tendon rupture. Um, and this is a, this is very commonly seen. Um, this is occurs more in the mid calf region. 
Uh, we call it tennis leg, or you can also call it pickleball leg, so to speak. Um, this is super common. Uh, all of a sudden, you'll be running, and you feel this acute, uh, sudden onset of pain in the middle of your calf. And it is just a shearing pain, and it is akin to a hamstring pull. Um, it basically is a separation of where the muscle on the picture, it's the red part, uh, where it attaches to the tendon part right there, exactly. Um, it doesn't require surgery. Um, it oftentimes is mistaken um, by the primary care physician as a blood clot. And they go to the primary care physician and they do an ultrasound to see if it's a blood clot, but it never is. Um, but it's a very painful condition, doesn't require surgery. Uh, it does take a while to get better. Uh, but it is, um, it does take you out of action for a while. Uh, but it is not an Achilles tendon rupture, which occurs further down by the heel, which is uh, something that does require surgery. So that's an important thing to differentiate between the two. Um, okay, Achilles tendonitis is something that is, uh, again, different than Achilles tendon rupture. There can be an inflammation of the Achilles tendon without actual rupture. And that actually, this is a condition that can be treated conservatively without surgery, uh, but it is important to treat it because a tendonitis can develop into a tendon tear. Those are the things that need to be treated and treated um, so that it doesn't develop into something worse. Now, here's a, here's a super common condition, uh, tennis elbow or pickleball elbow, so to speak. It is funny that uh, it picked up the word tennis elbow because I see more people who have it without playing tennis, um, but uh, needless to say, it has the, the common term of tennis elbow. Uh, basically what it is, it, it has to do with the tendon which attaches onto the elbow. Um, and there are little microscopic tears <clears throat> which occur in the tendon and those tears develop into scar tissue. And those that scar tissue has a very fancy term called angiofibroplastic dysplasia, which is a very fancy term. Uh, but anyways, it's basically just a bunch of scar tissue. Um, and it is treated, uh, the natural history is that it will go away, but it takes a long time. So what we do along the way is we do physical therapy, we do icing, we can do some injection. It rarely requires surgery, um, but it, it it can hurt. This is one that I see a lot with my pickleballers right now, um, yes. just because um, it, it all has to do with how you're holding your paddle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And really, it's a matter of just stretching and stretching and stretching and just sort of working through it for sure. OK, so here's the injury prevention slides. And these are uh, there's a lot of slides here, um, a lot of information, but really is important in terms of just upper and lower extremity um, warming up, so to speak. Um, not only cardio, but just um, stretching. Um, this is more the stretching thing, which is important to do. Now, these are good stretching exercises to do that um, really, you know, you go online and you can find any of these exercises um, that um, are, are just good shoulder stretching exercise, especially for pickleball, for sure. And also for lower extremity, the hamstrings, the calf and such are important to do. And then strengthening, um, these are important, uh, particularly if you go to the gym and you're attempting to do things uh, by yourself. They're what we call knee-friendly and knee-unfriendly exercises. Basically, um, the knee-unfriendly exercises are the ones that put the knee into deep flexion, um, which is basically meaning uh, putting the knee past 90 degrees of flexion. Um, the reason being is that 
when you put the knee into deep flexion, in other words, squatting into a deep squat position, you increase um, a thing that we call the vector force, which is a force that really um, creates a lot of pressure underneath the kneecap. And that pressure underneath the kneecap um, causes pain and increases your kneecap pain. And that's one of the biggest sources of pain that people have is kneecap pain. So what you wanna do is when you exercise the lower extremity is basically exercise in terminal extension, basically from zero to 45, uh, 45 degrees of, of um, flexion. Um, you're gonna get the same bang for your buck, so to speak, in terms of your quad strengthening, but you're not gonna create as much trouble underneath your kneecap. So here's a good quadricep strengthening exercise that you can do anywhere um, using um, a five or 10 pound ankle weight. This is something that you can, um, again, you don't need any special equipment. Basically what you're doing is you're keeping the leg, which is being exercised straight. The opposite leg is bent. You're raising the leg straight. You're bringing it down, doing a set of uh, 20 repetitions, three sets. And then the lower, you're, uh, the lower slide, you're doing the hip. Um, you're exercising the outer part of the hip. Um, those are really good exercises to build up the quadricep and also the uh, the muscles on the outside part of your hip. I, I agree, especially because that helps with stabilizing the leg every time you take a step. So absolutely. Have... And that those are important in terms of kneecap pain, too, for sure. Yes. OK, here are the knee friendly exercises. Um, so on the left, you can see that that straight leg raise we talked about in the middle. You can see he's doing a leg extension, but he's not going all the way down to deflection. The, the leg press um, is okay as long as you're not going past 90. And the hamstring is actually okay, uh, the one that you're lying flat. It's just the whole principle is you don't want to go into deep flexion. It's, it's, that, it's that one where you go into deep flexion that really creates havoc for the uh, kneecap. I'm a big advocate. Uh, I'm sure, Sarah, you would agree. Cycling is great. I mean, I think that's a great exercise. I mean, it's kind yeah. of... Uh, you know, depending upon how I think stationary cycling, we kind of can be kind of boring. Uh, but, you know, if you put your headphones on, then, you know, you can it can be good. Swimming is and not every, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's good. Aqua jogging, I think, is, you know, good, too, Wonderful. if you're into that. Um, but these are, you know, you're never going to have much trouble with your knees if you're if you're cycling. Now, one thing about cycling, though, is that you do want to keep particularly if you have any kneecap problems, you want to keep the seat high. So you're not you're not cycling in deep flexion. Um, if you if you cycle in um, in a lot of flexion, you're going to create some trouble on your kneecap. Yeah. The the nice thing about these ones too that I often share with my patients is um, it it doesn't require as much of your body weight going through your leg because you're you're just pushing against the pedal or you're um, you're a little more buoyant in the water, and so that puts a lot of less pressure through the knee joint um, and can unload it a little bit more. And, and that's what I find a lot of people appreciate about these alternatives. Absolutely. Okay, so here are the knee unfriendly ones. Um, so anytime you're out there and you've got a lot of weight and you're doing those leg, those leg extension exercise like the guy on the left there, um, if you try to do leg extension and you've got, and you're putting weights on there, I mean, you are just loading that kneecap like crazy. And if you're doing the squats, now, if you're, you know, if you're 20, 30, okay, that's, that's fine. I don't even think it's good at that age, but you know, those guys do it all the time. Box jumps, I think are very good. Uh, if you're, 
if you're of the appropriate age. Um, I don't think box jumps are necessarily re real good as we get older. Um, it's hard on your back. Um, so I had a, a little bit of a um, disagreement with a trainer one time about that. I think, I don't know, Sarah, what do you, what do you think about box jumps? I think it, you really have to up train to it. It's not one that any, just anybody can do. And especially the older we get and the less active we are to that high level of activity, our, our body usually won't uh, appreciate it as much. And it becomes a caution. There are some people who are trying really hard to, you know, stay high, high level athlete. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I caution people to, especially like with some of the knee injuries that, um, you were talking about before, if you have any sort of ligament or cartilage injury, um, these box jumps, those knee extensions, um, with a weight like that can be very, very aggravating. Yeah. And so that's, that's not one that I will typically give people if they have a fresh injury, um, or if they're, you know, just playing pickleball, I, I don't usually, um, give these ones to them if if they are known to have some knee stuff i find other more functional ways um, that replicate the, the sport it's not the first exercise you're going to give somebody who comes in with a yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> exactly great okay so my goal as an orthopedic surgeon is to get you back in the game so to speak having arthritis of my knee uh, this is actually my knee um that has gone through um, some uh, trials and tribulations between marathons and long distance cycling. Um, I've gone from almost bone on bone on that on my right knee on the inside compartment, but you know, I just keep plugging along. And ideally what you wanna do is you wanna live with your own knee for as long as you can until there's a point where you can't, uh, where it affects you uh, significantly and you failed everything and then it's time to have something done um, in terms of uh, a replacement and such. Okay, so my ladder, my treatment ladder, so to speak, uh, first rung is medication, anti-inflammatory medication, uh, nutritional supplements are, are, I think, have some value. I'm not really super keen on glucosamine and chondroitin. I think the studies are not really that uh, plentiful with regard to it actually having scientific value, although some people think it works. And if it works for you, then that's great. Uh, I'm not telling you not to take it, but I don't know if it necessarily has, it, well, it doesn't have a lot of science behind it. Uh, this is the this is a take-home message. I tell my patients this all the time. One pound off is four pounds off at your knee. That's, a, that's an important point. If you lose 10 pounds, you're taking 40 pounds of pressure off at your knee. Uh, that's important, super, super important. Strengthening exercises. Uh, we talked about that bracing. Um, I, you know, I think bracing actually works. I mean, even these little over-the-counter type knee sleeves and such. At one time, I thought it, it was sort of uh, ridiculous, but you know, now that I have arthritis and I put a little knee sleeve on, um, it it makes a difference. I mean, it doesn't have any medical reason why it would work, but it doesn't provide you any balance or anything like that. But it makes it makes a difference, and you know, whatever whatever works for you. Uh, I don't think it has to be expensive. It doesn't have to have any hinges. But I think a little neoprene, I tell people that have some mild to moderate arthritis, try it. If it works, then that's great. It's kind of like a support or like a reminder. It adds some awareness to the knee and, and the body is kind of a little bit more able to protect it and, and use it more efficiently. Um, it's kind of like an external scaffolding, so to speak. But um, I, I totally agree. I, yeah. And at one time, I mean, earlier in my career, I said, no, nah, stupid. It doesn't make a difference. But I tell you, as you get older, you realize that, you know, some things work, you don't have any reason why it works, but mm -hmm. it, 
it works. Yeah, if it works, use it. If it doesn't, then find something else that does. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, next wrong are injections. I think cortisone injections have a definite place in the in the realm of treatment. Um, cortisone injections have a, a sort of a bad rap in terms of things. I think they're very beneficial for arthritis. Um, they can be done uh, no sooner uh, or no quicker than every six months. They, um, if you do them any sooner than every, every six months, they will cause some degradation of the existing coating cartilage. Um, but there's, there is a, there, it's beneficial in terms of, um, decreasing the pain. And I find uh, a lot of my patients too will, will find cortisone or steroid injections can can be helpful for their joints more so than for like uh, Achilles tendonitis or a pickleball elbow. Some of, I, I find more people saying, oh yeah, it helped with my knee pain, but it didn't help with my elbow. Um, and so just keeping that in mind, it's it works for some people, it doesn't work for others. And um, right. it really depends on, you know, the purpose of it that can um, help or sometimes not be as helpful, but yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then when all else fails, um, there's always surgery. The uh, The least invasive is just the arthroscopy, which many incisions would go in with a little camera um, done as an outpatient. And in this surgery, um, what we do, we do, this is for the meniscus. Um, we either, for a meniscus uh, tear, we can repair it. That's usually for um, patients that are younger than the age of 25 or 30 for the most part, because the meniscus has better blood supply at that age in older folks, basically just removing that portion of the meniscus, which is torn, which is called a meniscectomy. We don't take out the whole meniscus. We just take out the portion, which is torn. Uh, and then there's joint replacement. Um, and again, that's, that's a point when there's no longer any tread left on your tires. Um, and then there are, it's replacing the entire knee, which is a total knee replacement. And in some people, uh, just replacing a portion of the knee, which is called a unicompartmental replacement. That's in a very select group of people. Um, yeah, but if it's, if you, if you meet that criteria, that can be a, an option for you as well. And uh, just real quick, because a lot of questions that I'll get from people is, oh, so what's the what does the healing time look like within an arthroscopy versus a joint replacement? What do you typically see? Yeah, that's a big difference. Um, one is an outpatient. Uh, well, they both can theoretically be an outpatient, um, although um, I, I tend to keep people uh, just my personal preference overnight for a joint replacement. But the arthroscopy, um, you're, you're, you're back. Um, doing most um, activities within a week or so, uh, you're, you're back on the pickleball court, maybe within about two to three months. Um, everybody's different. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to tell people that with a total knee replacement, um, I tell people you're not going to be as good as you're going to be for at least up to eight months. Um, mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you're not back doing more functional activities well before that. So it really Absolutely. is a huge huge variation. I'm um, in at three weeks and they're ready to go. Um, <laughs> that's not common. It's, it, it really is a, a huge gamut. Uh, I, I will tell them though, it's a long process for yeah. sure. And a lot of times uh, pickleballers need to hear that it, that we need to give ourselves a chance to recover a little bit more. Um, as impatient as we are to get back on the courts, we have to have patience with the healing process with either of these situations. Right. And, and, and what the important thing to do is it, everybody wants to hear things from other people. And the worst thing is to listen to other people, uh, really, because everybody's different. It really, right. it, everybody's different um, in okay. terms of how they, how they, how they improve. Agreed. 
And then with respect to the shoulder, uh, the most, uh, the, the, the least invasive is the decompression, which is treatment of the um, uh, impingement process, which is just opening up that space when you have the impingement, um, just making more room for the tendon and the bursa. That's not a very commonly done procedure just by itself. That's usually done in, con in conjunction with something else. That something else is usually a rotator cuff repair. Uh, whereby we reattach the tendon back down to the bone. Um, and the middle picture is a picture of the hole in the tendon or the tear. And then the, the picture to the right is actually sutures that we're using to repair the tendon down to the bone. And then next, and then there's a new technique um, whereby we can apply a, a graft to the, um, to the repair, which acts as a scaffold um, and augments the repair and can aid to the healing process um, of the, um, the repair sites. And I wanted to touch on that bioinductive implant that you discussed before, because um, you were saying that this is um, something that's relatively new. What is what is come, something that's kind of stand out about this implant that you've found um, to be helpful with these? Um, I think uh, it's 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 valuable for the uh, the tears that are large. Large tears have a high re-tear rate, um, and I find that it acts to reinforce, augment the the tissue. And I've been happy with how um, it's performed. Um, I myself have used it for maybe about three to five years. I, I think it's it's been around longer than that for sure. Mm -hmm. But so far, it's been uh, I've been I have found it to be very 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 beneficial. So kind of we talked about the knee joint and kind of what healing time looks like there. Can you speak a little bit on what shoulder joint uh, time oh, tends to look right. like? Right. Uh, okay. So assuming that we're talking about uh, the shoulder joint being the rotator cuff repair, which is the most commonly seen uh, thing I see in pickleballers, uh, that's not very quick. So we're talking about typically four to six weeks in a sling. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking about a pretty extensive course of physical therapy. And we're talking about at least four to six months before getting back to pickleball. You can get back to maybe some below shoulder hits, maybe around four months, but over overhand uh, volleys and such more like six months. And it also depends upon the size of the tear. Um, so you have to be ready for about a six month period before you get back playing full pickleball. And if it's a big tear, it might be longer than that. Yeah. And one of the things that I'll talk about with my patients as well is um, the reason is because there was that, that disconnect that you're repairing and it takes a little bit for those tissues to kind of build back up on top of it and find stability again, because there was a lot that wasn't, the shoulder's a very beautifully complex joint, but it requires a lot more of our patients to get it moving all the ways that it needs to again, because it's, it's not like the knee that just bends and straightens the shoulder joint moves in a circuit motion. And um, that's, that's usually why uh, it takes a little bit longer is because there's usually more that's involved, even if it's just one tendon. Um, it's, it's rarely just that tendon. There's a lot of neighboring tissues that oh, need a totally, chance to heal too. Totally agree. Yeah. Shoulder is um, very complex. It, the shoulder joint actually, as, as you were saying, is it's more than just one joint. It's multiple mm -hmm. joints that make up the shoulder complex. There's the there's an AC joint, there's a scapulothoracic joint, uh, just multiple joints. And it's, it's, it, it can take a while for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a long course, but it, it can be, um, uh, people do, um, you know, if you, it, the most important thing is to stick with the therapy for sure. That's, mm -hmm. that is the key thing. And I appreciate you highlighting all the ways that we can 
um, try to take care of ourselves and that, you know, surgery is there, but as the top rung of the ladder, that's something that you get to at the very end when other approaches don't work. Um, cause largely the body has a lot that it can do to recover, um, itself with the right environment, with the right protective mechanism. And sometimes um, that's where surgery comes in to provide the environment if we haven't been able to create it, um, with other techniques. And so, um, I'm, I'm grateful to you for, for sharing that as well. Um, and I, I love what you're doing for the pickleball community, kind of showing them now they have a game plan. Okay. I understand if I have stuff going on in my knee, if I have stuff going on in my shoulder, what are my options? What are some things that um, I'll be able to do? Um, and even preventatively, what are some exercises I can start doing or considerations I can have given my age or activity level, uh, or even just history to help make sure that I'm playing smart and playing right. purposeful um, exactly. and exercising purposefully um, on the courts. Right. And I'm a, I'm a big um, proponent of physical therapy. It's not, it's not that common that you come in to see me and you need surgery right away, unless you have a broken bone or you have a, uh, a very large uh, rotator cuff tear, um, you know, knee arthritis, you can do therapy, um, meniscus tear, even there's some evidence to show that people that have a combination of arthritis and meniscus tears, people can do well with physical therapy before doing a surgery. So there's a, a, a multitude of avenues outside of surgery that uh, people can do to get better without a surgical approach right away, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dr. Cole. Um, for any listeners or viewers that are more curious about what you do or where you're located, uh, how can people get in touch with you or find where you're at? Sure. Um, well, it's not hard in uh, the small community that we live. Um, so my, my office is in Templeton. And I anticipate people that are uh, taking in this information from this podcast will have follow-up questions and more questions. So I'm sure uh, we would love to have you on again for kind of that Q&A in the future. Um, but thank you so much, Dr. Cole, for your time and for your knowledge and for the strategies that you have given to the pickleball community um, locally in the San Luis Obispo area and Paso Robles area. Um, and as we continue to spread this podcast, um, even statewide or nationwide, um, I hope that it will help more and more pickleball athletes to um, have confidence in the potential of their longevity for the sport. So thank you again, Dr. Kowal. Great. Thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate it. This has been the Pickleball Physio Podcast, and we'll see you on the courts.